0: you would please turn in your Bibles to Second Corinthians chapter 3, we are looking at verses 6 through 18, and today our focus will be on 14, 16, and part of 18. Second Corinthians chapter 3, verses 6 through 18, we will pray and then read the Lord, word of the Lord, and then uh, pick it back up. Father, we come before your throne to ask for wisdom and knowledge. Father, to ask that our hearts be changed by the power of your Spirit. And Father, we bow before you in humble adoration. And Father, as we even just sang, that uh, we understand your faithfulness, but even before that we seek first your kingdom and your righteousness. Father, as we read our brother Paul here, may you give us ears to hear. May you give us eyes to see. May you help us comprehend this amazing text. And Father, that the pictures of the past are now the reality of Christ. Help us, Lord. Help us to rejoice in this. And Father, help us to be overwhelmed by this. And help us, first and foremost, to walk in this. To your glory and praise. Amen. Beginning at verse 6, Who also made us adequate as servants of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. But if the ministry of death, in letters, engraved on stones, came with glory, so that the sons of Israel could not look intently at the face of Moses because of the glory of his face, fading as it was, how will the ministry of the Spirit fail to be even more with glory. For if the ministry of condemnation has glory, much more does the ministry of righteousness abound in glory. For indeed, what had glory in this case has no glory because of the glory that surpasses it. For if that which fades away was with glory, much more that which remains is in glory." Therefore we have such a hope we use great boldness in our speech and are not like Moses who used to put a veil over his face so that the sons of Israel would not look intently at the end of what was fading away. But their minds are hardened until this very day at the reading of the Old Covenant, the same veil remains unlifted because it is removed in Christ. But to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their heart. But whenever a person turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the spirit. We're looking at the Apostle Paul contrasting the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. We are looking at the Apostle Paul contrasting external religion with a true relationship with Jesus Christ, and and I believe that we here, Cassarock Baptist Church in Cassarock, two thousand and eleven, have gotten some skewed views of the two. I have placed an order for a book that I will present to each family in this church. I would highly suggest as soon as I get them, I will pass them out. And I would highly suggest that you take the time to read the book. It's an interesting book. It's an odd book. Okay, but it's based on this simple thing. When you think about your relationship with Jesus Christ, not your spouses, not your kids, your relationship with Jesus Christ, how would you describe it? I asked this on Wednesday night. Okay, if I had to describe my relationship with Jesus Christ, it's the name of the book Slave. Slave. And, and I believe that you and I have a skewed view of that. We have this in our mind that we are bond servants. You know, when my slave time was done, I went and stuck my ear up to the fence post and put it an all through it because I want to stay here. That is not the term that is used to describe the relationship of a believer to Christ. I am so sorry. Okay, because I would say that most of us really willingly said, yes, Jesus, I'm going to follow you. You might have in a dream once. <laughs> But when I think about that, you know, I've seen this for years and years and you never really think about it. But if you go back to your Bible, you'll find out that you are bond servant or, you know, you are servant or you are this or you are that. And if you go back to the original language, you will see that you have been deceived because it says that you are his possession. It's like um, I have a rolling toolbox, okay, that I have all my tools in, all right, and those are my possession. You know what's amazing about my screwdrivers and hammers and Allen wrenches and sockets and all the rest of it? They don't do one thing unless I make them. You know what they call that? Slave. I'm the master. Those tools are my tools. You know what that means? That is your relationship with Jesus Christ. Oh no, no, you don't understand. It's by grace and mercy, and He loves me and this. you know what? He does. He redeemed you out of darkness to put you in the kingdom of heaven. Absolutely. He loves you. You're still a slave. You are still his slave. And that's tough because we believe we have a will. Okay? You know, my will is free. I'm an American. No, it ain't. (laughs) I got news for you. I know a lot of you guys for a long time. (laughs) You ain't got free will. (laughs) Trust me. (laughs) You, You may want to define it that way, but you're either a slave to... Or you are a slave to? You're not Switzerland. I'm neutral. <laughs> sure, you are. And that lies at the crux of the old and the new covenant. Okay, when you think about covenant, you and I have a very skewed view of covenant. You know, we've, if you've studied covenant at times, the first one you kind of really can launch into is the covenant that God made with Abraham where he cut the bulls in half and then he put him to sleep and God walked in the blood because he was going to show that this is a covenant with, that I have with you, Abraham, and you ain't got nothing to do with it. Okay? We call it a promise. But you know what? In our society today, what is that? Okay, I promise... What? To break my promise. Okay? But I hear people saying, well, I'm going to promise things to God. The only thing I can promise to God is that I will probably sin over and over and over until I see Him. And what I want you to understand, covenant, when you hear about cutting covenant, it's usually involved two people. Okay? And what they do, uh, it's a blood oath. And we are bound together by this agreement until. Death. Okay? That's why when a a couple gets married, they enter into the covenant of marriage. That's why it says, you hear him say it, until death do we part. <laughs> okay? That's not complicated. But we're in a society now... I mean, we got collective bargaining for the NBA and collective bargaining for the NFL, and I don't want this contract, and I want to be traded here, and I want to do this, I want to do that, and all the rest of them, you sit there, what is that? When I think about covenant, I think about testament, and when I think about testament, I think about last will and testament, because the person who dies says, this is what I want to happen with whatever is remaining based on our covenant. Same thing. The Apostle Paul is trying to contrast to you and I the Old Covenant to the New Covenant. Oh, did I tell you that there was a death of one in the Old Covenant? Huh. Therefore, you now enter into the New Covenant. You are now a slave. You read verse 6. We are servants. Of a new covenant. We are ministers of a new covenant. That's what we do. We are new covenant. Servants. To a master. He who died. To fulfill the old covenant. The old covenant. Could not give you life. It was the ministry of death. It was the ministry of condemnation. Did you know that the Old Covenant could not bring you righteousness? It could not make you right standing before God. The Old Covenant was not permanent. It was fading. We looked at that. It was veiled. And the reflection of the glory of the covenant on Moses' face did what? It faded away. Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews says, It's obsolete. And yet we keep wanting to throw it on people. And the reason is we don't want to deal with the moral issue. I will do five out of ten of the Ten Commandments, and then I'll do some rituals and ceremonies, and I hope that covers it. they that what we do? I look at the church today in this nation, and I was reading an article by... uh Dr. Al Moeller and he, he it was just a commentary that he had put out on how can the church take a stand against homosexual marriage oh, Al, dude <laughs> he, how, how, how can you say that and he says if the divorce rate in the church is equal to or surpassing that of the lost people how can we tell them that we know how to morally conduct marriage is that what we do Why do you have the second and the third and the fourth Baptist churches? I remember in Philadelphia a number of years ago, I run into the 42nd Presbyterian Church. And you're like, what is that? (laughs) Dude, where are the rest? And how far up does that go? But that's what we do. We get confronted. Guess what? I'll start another Baptist church or I'll start another whatever. We'll do a Bible church. That way nobody knows what we're really talking about. That's one of the amazing things that I watched today. Why? It's a lack of understanding of the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. This New Covenant is only permanent. It is only eternal. This New Covenant does something that the Old Covenant could never do and that was to bring hope. Hope. To bring hope. Have you ever thought about that? You think about the things right now that take away your hope and ask yourself this simple question, does it stand in light of the new covenant? Think about the things that annoy you. And it's usually about you. It's usually you. Okay? And which goes back to my simple statement how do you describe your relationship with Jesus Christ? Hmm. You ever thought about your relationship with Jesus Christ? I really don't care what's going on around me. I know who my master is. You know what? Sure cleans it up. Sure cleans it up. She takes the edges right off of it. Why? Dude, I'm a slave of Christ. But that is a lack of our understanding of the implications of the new covenant. The new covenant brings hope regardless of what you deal with in this planet, and this life, however long you live. My hope isn't here anyway. But it is also clear. We looked at this last week. It is clear. Why? It isn't veiled. See, the old covenant, its purpose was to crush you, to break your heart. Because until it did that, you walk around with a, a veil. It was obscure. But you are like to help it. I have a veil. I can't really see it. And I'll fix it. I'll be hard hearted. Yeah. I'll show him. I did that once. He broke me of that. I was mad at God once. I know none of you've ever been. I got really ticked off at him. And he woke me up in the hospital and said, what was that? He said, you're not your own. You know what I've got one screwdriver okay that if you look at it you think how in the world can that be a screwdriver because it has faced my hammers so many times that I don't use it as a screwdriver anymore I use it as something to (laughs) take out my frustrations with no you just bam bam and, and and all the rest of it and I use it for that but if you look at it you're like what is that it's in the screwdriver drawer but dude that don't look like a screwdriver but you know what I'm the owner. It does what I want it to do. Okay? But the new covenant, the new covenant says you now have a new master. End of verse 14. Their minds are hardened, verse 14 says, for until this very day, okay, at the time, writing of this book, until this very day, the reading of the old covenant, the same veil remains unlifted. Unlifted. Okay, why? It's only removed in Christ. It's only removed in Christ. Listen, without Christ, you can't get the old covenant. I don't care if you read it. You can't get it without Christ. See, the old covenant has to have the new to even understand the mystery. Go back to the guy who calls himself or is called the father of faith. Okay. He had a real small Bible. Okay? And he was promised a son. You're going to have a son. Okay? But you ain't going to have a son until I say you have a son. So he waited for him to get 100 years old. Now, if God gives me a son at 100 years old, I'm going to have to tell him I'm going to fight again. (laughs) Because... Come here. I don't care if you do send me to the hospital. That'll be a blessing. How about you? <laughs> Just get me out of here. All right. But he gives him a son. And so he raises his son. And they call him laughter. And I thought, yeah, that's about funny. Okay? But they call him laughter. And then God says, I want you to sacrifice that son to me. Who's the master? Who's the tool? Abraham is, and Abraham says, let's go. Boy, we're gonna, we're gonna go make an offering to God. Piles up a big old pile of stuff. He's getting ready to put him up there, preaches up a knife, and his son says, Dad, question. This is all paraphrased, by the way. <clears throat> Where's the animal? What was Abraham's term? Response? How do you know that? What Bible did he read? How do you know that? He did understand the promise, but you need to understand this. He had a big elongated walk with God where he learned to trust God, period. Perhaps, perhaps, I plunged the knife into my son's chest and God raises him from the dead. Was that common? I, did he see that going on on a regular basis? No, but he was looking to Christ. He was looking to Christ. When a person comes to Christ, then all of the meanings are clear. All the types the pictures, the shadows, they're all clear. The veil that is cloaking it, making it obscure, is lifted. It's lifted. When someone comes to Christ, the veil is removed. When someone comes to Christ, are you sitting down and listening to this? You need to hear this. When someone truly comes to Christ, they're is now a spiritual understanding. No longer are they impaired. It is all clear now. Everything has clarity. Everything. Okay, there's time. Now listen. I talked about this in my Sunday school class. There's times when I read Scripture, okay? And I just back away from it and think, well, there you go. <laughs> I have no idea what that's about. Okay? And it may take a year, and all of a sudden something will show up in my life, and all of a sudden, Da-da! oh, I get it now. All right. I read scripture as preventive maintenance. Okay? I don't want to be eyeballed deep and awful so I can figure out where in the world in the Bible can I overcome this thing? Because it is in tragedy that the glory of God, based on what He's already revealed to you in His holy word, because you are now in Christ, the veil is removed, you are no longer obscured, and no longer is it an external, let me make God happy, it is an internal, Lord, I am your slave. And if you want to use me as a pry bar and smack me with a hammer, it is to your good pleasure. I'm just thrilled that I'm yours. Kind of a different view of the church, isn't it? Okay, you know, I've had to people say, well, You know, I've got this great big huge book on my desk. It's it's about like that. It's, golly, it's about that thick. And of course, everybody comes in. They're looking. i got it on a little stand. They come on and they look. Dude's got like a 12-pound Bible laying there. It's not the Bible. And everybody goes, well, I thought it was the Bible. It's got like print in both lines. It looks like a Bible. Well, read it. Oh, that's not the Bible. that has got like stars and little things and footnotes and all yeah it's a book called the treasury of scripture knowledge okay that in my bible are my two most cherished possessions treasury of scripture knowledge is somewhere around half a million cross-references of every verb and every context throughout the scriptures and it's been compiled over ages by what i would classify as theologians Okay, and everybody says, Well, so you use that book, yeah, because I can trace you know, whenever I give you a cross reference in my notes, treasure of scripture knowledge, give it to me. Okay, now there's some that I you know, well, I remember that. All right. But you know what my greatest tool for Bible study is? Prayer. Prayer. And I'm not talking, Lord, it's time to study the Bible now, help me. That ain't the kind of prayer I'm talking about. I'm talking about the prayer that says, Lord, I'm that old beat up screwdriver and I don't want to get hit in the head with that hammer too many more times. Can you please help me here? Why? Because there's times that you will run into a text that is veiled, it's partially obscured. And every time that I have run into it, and I know you guys may not have, but you will you will run into a text that you're like, what in the world? Okay, and I will ask you this simple question, just like the Apostle Paul has stated in this text. When you get to that, and you understand that the veil has been removed in Christ, then what would be the other obstacle? Not me! I don't have a hard heart! Come on! Are you kidding me? As soon as you think that, brothers and sisters, you will become that next screwdriver. And God's little hammer will say, Here, I'll pry this off with you. What happens with a hard heart is that we they simply think they can save themselves. What happens with a hard heart is that, yeah, I know that I'm a sinner, but you know what, God, I have lived as good as I can, and you know, I've fallen short on some of this, but I've kept the rituals, I've kept the ceremonies. Okay? I've done the system and the methods. And therefore... I'm okay with you. I had friends in the past that have told me, he says, well, you need to understand something. I've made my peace with God. And I always tell them, that ain't the issue. The issue is, is God made peace with you. And that's different. See... I see people in the body of Christ today who literally think if I do certain things, that will save me. And that is not the Bible I read. The Bible I read says, Here I am, holy, righteous God. Unless you can meet my holiness and my righteousness, you are my enemy condemned to hell to pay for the arrogant heart that thinks that you can reap my righteousness see the old covenant breaks our heart I, you know the, the old covenant says I can't the old covenant humiliates us how in the world can you or I tolerate pride in our lives again I will go back how I started this how do you describe your relationship with Jesus Christ and if any pride rises in there do you know what that says oh my goodness really How in the world? God's law shatters us. God's law breaks us. God's law should crush us in a place that the only thing we can do is beg for mercy. Beg for mercy. Do we cry out for His righteousness? Now, be careful. We like to cry out for other people to have God's righteousness. You know, if such and such would do this, oh, that'd be, if such and such, yeah, you know, go look in a mirror, dude. Go look in a mirror. A hard heart takes the law of God and says, I see the standard. I can do a lot of this and this will please God because he will know the intentions were to try to please him. You know what? Nobody in all of scripture wrote more or taught more about hell than Jesus Christ. Okay. And he has this phrase that's, that he uses speaking of hell to describe it. And he talks about there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Okay. Gnashing of teeth. I always thought that meant Dennis went to hell. <laughs> all right? Dennis make me gnash my teeth. Um, If you go back to the original language, you will find out that gnashing of teeth is still defiance. I don't deserve to be here. Really? But in hell, there will be those who are weeping, saying, whoops. And then there will be those who will literally still be defying the holy, righteous standard of a perfect, omnipotent God. Ceremonies and rituals and systems. And you know what? I try to keep close to the morals. Whatever I lack in the moral side, I'll fill in with rituals or maybe a bigger offering at the end of the year. You know what? That is what every religion in the world does. When you read the old covenant, they don't understand it. Okay? And, and it's done on a regular basis. Um, the Jews were doing it at the writing of the New Testament. Um, 15, chapter 15 of the book of Acts, verse 21. For Moses from ancient generations was in every city, those who preached him since he is read in the synagogues every Sabbath. You see that over and over in the book of Acts, where every Sabbath they would read the law. They're not ignorant of the law. But you know what? They didn't understand it. I see people today, I shared with you last week that I had a, a guy that I... I know, uh, who was raised in Catholicism, and he realized that it was just an external thing, and it was just a bunch of works and all the rest of it, and he was raised in a Catholic school and all that other stuff, so then he became a Presbyterian. And as a Presbyterian, he says, I read the Bible, I memorized the Bible, I knew the Bible, and all the rest of it. he says, you know what? It doesn't do anything. I have the information. Nothing changed. You know why? Well, we've already looked at it. It's veiled from him. It's obscure. He can't understand it. And the hardness of his heart. Remember Jesus running around? They was always trying to pigeonhole him, give him a trick question. All right? The Pharisees, the scribes, the experts. And he always gave the same statement to start to answer. And I always love that. If you go to the context, you'll see... Have you not read? Have you not read? Perhaps you haven't read that one. (laughs) I love that. All right, why? I'm an expert in the Torah. Have you not read? See, they read and they read and they read. But you know what? They never bowed to it. Wayne, our friend, many of you know, Wayne used to say, it is not a matter of you mastering the scriptures. It is a matter of the scriptures mastering you. Why? What's your relationship with Christ? What's your relationship with Christ? How would you define your relationship with Christ? Have you bowed? Have you bowed? Have you been humbled? How can you not read the book and not be humbled? Breaks the heart. Causes us to plead for mercy. That's Christ-centered preaching. We preach Christ and Him crucified. We look to the works of Jesus Christ. Every Sabbath, he says here in verse 15, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their heart. When is he read? Every Sabbath. Every Sabbath. And yet it's still obscure. Listen, there's nothing wrong with the old covenant, brothers and sisters. I just want you to be aware of that. There's nothing wrong with it. The problem is the heart. The unwillingness to be broken, the unwillingness to confess sin. The unwillingness to even acknowledge one's own sin. Listen, I want you to think about something. And I've shared this in the past with some of you. In the Garden of Gethsemane. Remember the garden? Jesus was praying. Remember, and as great drops of blood were coming off him. That's some pretty serious praying going on right there, right? Okay. And he says, Father, If possible, what? Take this cup for me. Now, do you understand what he just said? He knows there's no plan B. And yet, his humanity is overwhelmed with the anguish of being separated from the Father for the penalty of sin. He says, if possible, take this cup cup from me but not my will yours listen that ain't jesus saying well i wonder what god's up to right here he knows what's going on and you know what the tragedy in the church today is none of us have ever walked into the garden and said you know what lord if possible show me your will and let it be done on earth as it is in heaven regardless of the heartache and the anguish it may bring to me I am but your slave that's a nasty place that is a nasty place I don't care who you say I don't care what you're thinking Because of the hardness of our heart, the people of Israel, they could not look intently. They could not gaze upon the glory of God. It's beyond belief. Anyone called to salvation without repentance, I have but one thing to ask. What the heck were you saved from? That's all I want to know. You look at the church today and you tell me there's repentance. The very nature of repentance, or the very nature of salvation, is repentance. I mean, everything of salvation is repentance. Salvation says you are a new. Creature! You're born again! You are completely different than what you were! And yet I look at the church and say, really? Really? The brokenness of the old covenant to our heart would define our humility where there is a broken heart there will be a proper understanding of the old covenant and when you have a proper understanding of the old covenant then you will be in Christ and you understand the forgiveness of God old covenant believers knew God was a forgiving God read Jonah you know why he didn't want to go to Nineveh he knew he would forgive him They were tormentors of Israel. They were some of the most vile people you could ever read about. They did things that will just cause your jaw to drop. They used to take fetuses, newborn babies and put them in a jar and put it in the cornerstone of a new building and it'd keep evil away. That always worked for me. That's what they did. They believed you offered your children to Moloch as a burnt offering. And Israel followed them. And they would come in and they would rob and steal and rape and pillage. And Jonah, I want you to go up and tell them to repent. God said, Jonah said, I'm not on your no. I'll go be bait. Why? Because he knew they would repent. Guess what? He went up and preached that God's hand was against them. Guess what they did? Ashes and sackcloth. And you know what? God spared that nation, that group, for a hundred years. As vile as they were. But you know what they did? They repented. Verse 16, if you look at that, whenever a person turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. The veil is taken away. Verse 18 says, but we all with what? Unveiled face. Now, I want you to think about this for a second because he's got a transition here, but he's still in that contrast. Remember what he's saying here. When you turn to the Lord, what happens? When a person comes to Christ in faith, the veil is taken away. Moses used to have a veil on and then when he went into the presence of the Lord, he went to see the Lord, he removed the veil. He was in direct vision of God's glory. He enjoyed, now get this, he enjoyed what the people couldn't. Got that? Remember? Israel couldn't look. They could not gaze on the reflected glory on Moses and yet Moses went into the presence of God and he thought this was totally awesome. Now, think about that for a second. He enjoyed what the people couldn't. You know, the question comes up, well, how did he survive? In Exodus chapter 33, you'll see that God, Moses asked God, show me your glory. He says, you can't gaze at it. What does that mean? You cannot look intently at it. You can't gaze at it. All right. So I'll stick you in the cleft and you can look at I think Dr. MacArthur called it a toned down glory. He looked at the backside of God's glory. It was so great. It was just the reflective thing. Now, I want you to think about this. Moses had a passion to see the glory of God. The people could not look, could not gaze upon the glory of God. Why? Because it was veiled and hard-heartedness look at the body of Christ today there are people who will set aside their time of worship with God because of their hard-heartedness they don't want to be exposed to the glory of God read that verse 18 we with all unveiled face beholding in a mirror what? glory of the Lord And there are times when I look into the mirror, I see the glory of the Lord. There's other times in my hard-heartedness, it doesn't seem quite as bright. It doesn't seem quite as important. And then I will go back to the opening question. What is your relationship with Jesus? The slave who has been bought off of the slave stone out of darkness and out of the bondage of Satan should forever with every breath and every step of their life be overwhelmed that I am a possession of God. The Lord is my shepherd. You know what that means? I'm the sheep. You know what that means? I don't tell the shepherd, hey dude, I was thinking we'd go down to the coast. What do you think? Nope. His rod and his staff, they comfort me. Paul is telling us that when a person goes into the presence of God, the Lord turns to Christ and takes the veil away. The obscure is now clear. There is a clarity. And he crushes the hard heart. I look at the glory. If you just drop over one more chapter, chapter 4, verse 6, he says this, For God who said, now grab this because we get this thrown at us a whole bunch. For God who said, Light shall shine out of the darkness. Amen. The gospel of John is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Uh Uh-oh. I got to ask you one little question. What can you add to your relationship with Jesus Christ that ain't right there? Tell us, he cried from the cross. It is finished. It is complete. It lacks nothing. Peter says he has given us everything we need for our life. The temporal and godliness, the eternal. And you will add to that How? The veil is off. The glory is clear. The knowledge of God shines in us and we now shine forth the light of the world. Do you understand what I just said? We shine forth. We do not reflect it. Moses reflected it. Old covenant. Old covenant, external. New covenant, internal. We now shine forth the glory of Christ. There is no more darkness. The veil is gone, and it happens all at once. Have you ever run into those guys who are always coming to Christ? Have you ever seen it? You know what I'm talking about. To walk the aisle, walk the aisle, walk the aisle. Say the prayer, say the prayer, say the prayer. Walk the aisle, walk the aisle, and all the rest of it. And you know what I've noticed about every one of those who are and repeating that. The veil ain't gone. The veil ain't gone. I think it was Linsky. I can't remember if it's Linsky or Calvin says that when coming unto Christ, true understanding floods the soul. Unquote. See, the gospel's clear. The gospel is clear. The veil is gone. The mystery is gone. And Romans chapter 10, verse 4 says, For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Remember John the Baptist seeing him coming down? He is the fulfillment of the law. Christ is the purpose of the law. Christ is the fulfillment of the law. Christ is the fulfillment of righteousness. The new covenant is superior for the reasons that are set before us. It gives life. It produces righteousness. It's permanent. It brings hope. It is clear. It is Christ-centered. That's the superiority of it. This isn't a game, brothers and sisters. The law is there to crush us, to humiliate us. So Christ can remove the veil. And now the glory of God shines through His people. It's not reflected. And there should be an overwhelming joy for the children of God to look upon the glory, to gaze intently at the glory of God. Why? I'm not my own. To die is gain. To live is Christ. Hope is clearer. Father, help us to have ears to hear, eyes to see. Thank you for this time. I thank you for the covenant. Thank you for the amazing things that you do every moment of our life. Father, please help us see. Help us know In the death of Christ, the old covenant is fulfilled. In the resurrection of Christ, the new covenant is fulfilled. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Help us to walk in that light. Help us to walk as slaves of the Most High God to the glory of you and you alone. May we decrease, may you increase, to your glory, to your praise, in Christ's name, amen.